You're listening to the Jesus and Politics Podcast by CCF at Western Washington University, where each week we'll be asking the question, how does our allegiance to Jesus impact our participation in politics? Welcome to the Jesus and Politics Podcast. Uh, I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the campus pastors with the Western AS Club CCF Campus Christian Fellowship. And this week, I'm going to interview Jeff. Uh, Jeff is a campus pastor also here at Western, and he's one of my favorite people to talk to about politics every election year. Um, I love talking to Jeff because he's so thoughtful, he's so informed, and he always, always makes me think. Um, And so it's just a real privilege to be able to interview him today about his thoughts. And we are going to talk today about how to be politically active in our divisive, complicated political culture. Um, So Jeff, this will be your fourth presidential election cycle as a campus pastor. And then this is, that makes this the fourth time that CCF is talking about this topic, discussing how our worldview and our faith interfaces with politics. So what makes this so important to you? Why do you keep offering this every election cycle? Uh, Thanks, Jonathan. I love talking about politics with you too. Um, Okay, so I am an American citizen who also happened to grow up overseas. And so the the first election that I ever voted in was my freshman year at Western in the year 2000. It was uh, George W. Bush versus Al Gore, and it was a ride. It was so close uh, that there were demands for a recount. There were cries of election fraud from both parties. Uh, and the final decision really actually went all the way to the Supreme Court, which determined that Al Gore had lost the state of Florida by 537 votes, which mm. gave Bush the majority of the Electoral College, which meant, according to our Constitution, he was the next president. That was crazy. It was wild when we woke up. The day after the election, we still didn't know who won officially, and it took weeks for us to be sure, Uh, which, by the way, is worth saying that might very well be our experience this year uh, because so many ballots will be mailed in. So all of us, we should be ready for that. Uh, Election night results probably won't happen. Um, But so that first experience uh, sparked an interest in politics for me and my friends. Uh, But then I would say even more than that, That same year in college for me, my freshman year, Jesus met me in a really powerful way. Uh, I've never been the same since, and I've become convinced that Jesus is actively trying to rescue um, and heal and forgive and bless the whole world, everyone on earth, all of creation, all of it. Um, And he's invited me, he invites all of us to help him do that, to, to join him on his mission to save the world. Uh, And so, you know, as we look at history, especially in our country, politics has been a a major tool for justice, but also for injustice. Uh, Politics has been a a, a super highway for freedom and change, but also for oppression and inequality. So, So the more I read and get excited about and talk with Jesus, the more I'm realizing that how I vote affects how I love my neighbors. It affects my city. It affects my country. In fact, it affects people in other countries. So I actually believe 
that the stuff we talk about on this podcast, which is why we've offered this, this, this sort of material every, every election cycle since I've been a campus pastor, the way that it shapes our thinking about politics and whether or not we should engage, uh, whether or not you come from a Christian worldview, whatever your background, how your background should or shouldn't shape how you engage, all those things, I'm really convinced that this stuff really matters. This is, in no way is this a drill, you know? Uh, most of you students listening to this podcast, you are eligible to vote in a few weeks. And this is probably your first time. So you should probably, by the way, request your absentee ballot now so you can mail it in on time. But but those are two reasons why I'm uh, really excited for this podcast, Jonathan. So, so, Jeff, one of the hardest parts about talking about politics is actually talking about politics, right? Because the stakes are so high, uh, people get really defensive, people get angry, people get hurt. And social media, you know, amplifies this a lot, I think. And so tell us a little bit, like, how should we think about even how to have political conversations at all? First, I think we have to decide if we even want to have political conversations, you know? Um, do we have these conversations to be, to learn, to be informed, or do we have political conversations to beat someone else into submission about our ideas, right? Um, some people come at politics really decided and, and no amount of conversation will change their minds. Um, but I would say that most college students, especially if this is your first time voting, most students that I know, um, have questions, they want to learn. They're trying to figure out how to get the best information about how they should vote. So, so thinking about any students listening to this podcast, if that's you, then I think if we want to have uh, like teachable, informative conversations, I think we have to assume some things about the people we're trying to have these conversations with. Yeah, that, that's my experience too with our students. And um, there's a great quote. I've never learned anything from someone who already agreed with me about everything. And I've that's definitely been true in my experience too, right? So if we're going to learn from people who might disagree with us, what are some of those assumptions that you think we need to do that? First thing we have to assume in order to have like a, 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 a meaningful dialogue is you have to assume intelligence. If you assume that you're talking to an idiot, you're just not going to learn anything from them you or and you won't take anything they say seriously so if we want to have productive conversations about politics i think we have to assume that the people we're talking with are thoughtful that they're trying to understand and they're applying their minds to whatever they're reading or watching or listening to um, i know people personally who've said only an idiot would vote for another idiot like trump and at the same time i know other people who say how could you possibly vote for Joe Biden? Are you insane? You know, if that's how we approach these conversations, there's just zero conversation to be had there. Uh, there's no free exchange of ideas. There's no respect, only kind of assumed idiocy and insanity. Um, and we just can't learn from each other that way. So if we want to have helpful political conversations, we have to at least assume that the other person in the conversation is smart and reasonably thoughtful about what we're talking about. You know, you're kind of saying like, assume that other people might know something that you don't even, that there's, there's ways to assume that everybody you meet knows something that you don't. And so we're, we're assuming that we can all be learning from each other. Yeah, that's great. That's great. 
So, okay, so assume intelligence. What are, what are some other assumptions we should make if we want to have helpful political conversations? That we also have to assume people's good intentions. Uh, most people in political conversation really love their kids and want them to get a great education. Uh, most people want access to good health care and want other people to not suffer. Um, I think if you polled most Americans, you'd find that people want citizens and police officers to take care of each other. And for justice to be equally distributed, no matter what your background is or what body you have. Uh, I even think that, that most people care about other countries, or at least they're not excited about war or terrorism or, or oppressive regimes. I think that most people generally agree on, on these kinds of goals, like what we're trying to get to, as we're trying to, to, to live uh, our, our best life and build a, a thriving society. What we argue about is how to get there. Uh, and that's fine. But I think if we assume that everyone is, is trying to at least, you know, vote charitably, um, then maybe we can avoid the sort of us and them, good guys and bad guys, um, th those kinds of conversations that so much of our political atmosphere is, is really divided by. This, that one's hard, Jeff, because Sometimes I think, you know, I find that feeling in me that I actually wonder, does this person actually have good intentions? Do they actually want something good? Is that actually true? But, but you're saying that the bottom line is whether it's true or not, we, we won't actually learn from or understand anything, anyone, if we don't assume that anyway, just assume the best about people. It's fine if you, in, your, in the course of the conversation, if you discover, oh, this person actually doesn't have good intentions towards other people, that's mm -hmm. fine. But to, mm -hmm. to assume that on the front end, to villainize someone before you've had the conversation, that's, that's just not a good, that's not going to be helpful. And most people, I think, generally aren't villains. Yeah, that, that's really helpful. Okay, so assume that the person I'm talking to is intelligent and that they have good intentions. What other assumptions are there? I, I think, especially especially now, I don't want to say now more than ever, but it feels pretty, pretty intense right now. Mm -hmm. I think we all have to assume it's complicated for mm -hmm. people. Um, one of my good friends is from a Christian background and she is, is personally profoundly opposed to abortion. And she wants to help women have more options when they get pregnant. She wants to change a culture that says abortion is a necessary part of women's liberation. Um, so, so on that issue, she's really drawn to voting in kind of a traditionally conservative uh, 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 mindset that the, the, the conservative platform tends to lean that direction. However, she also cares deeply for the environment. She was a Huxley major at Western. And so uh, she cares about the environment because that, you know, how the environment goes, that affects children and families all over the world. And like for super long term. So she's hoping for more government policies on renewable energy and conservation, things like that. So on that issue, she's really drawn to voting what would traditionally be seen as something, a part of the liberal platform. Mm. And I think, I think it's just important that we all kind of recognize, like, isn't that pretty much true for all of us? Um, we have to, to take seriously that the fact that just because we make a decision in an election, just because we vote for one party or candidate and not another, that doesn't mean that it's, it's not also a very complicated and even at times uncomfortable process. Mm -hmm. uh, in this election, whether you vote for, for, in terms of the presidential election, whether you vote for Joe Biden or Donald Trump or any of the other party's candidates, that does not mean that you also vouch for everything that person or that party stands for. 
uh, it just means that 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 one party's platform kind of tipped the scale for you and maybe even barely tipped the scale of having enough of what you support to vote for. So so part of that assumption is don't assume things that you don't know about what they think just because you know from what you do know about what they think. It could be more complicated than what you than what you're thinking it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think if we'll assume that about people like you're probably conflicted in some way or another about this vote, I think that will help us have these these conversations mm-hmm. in a much more civil way. That's good. That's good. Okay, any more assumptions you'd want to add to that? Yeah, I, I would throw one more in there. Um, I think that it's really important to assume that this is also very personal. Um, voting, political engagement, it's very personal. The things that we're voting about, they will affect people's jobs. They'll affect our families. And in some cases, it, our vote even affects our bodies, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, issues of race, questions around abortion, making sure men and women in uniform aren't put in foolishly, uh, aren't put foolishly in harm's way. Our votes can affect other people's bodies. So, so when we're talking about these things, it's really important to remember that we're talking about intensely personal outcomes or, or mm. side effects of our vote. Um, the stakes are really high in a presidential election. And I think it's important to recognize that because it's so personal, that that makes a lot of, lots of people feel scared. Um, that people are legitimately scared that Donald Trump will be our president for another four years. And other people I've talked to are legitimately scared that Joe Biden will take our country in a terrible direction for the next four years. Um, Both of those realities are true with with people that we're having these conversations with. So I think it's really important to recognize how personal this is, how personal it feels, and to even sympathize with how folks are feeling when we have these these political conversations. I, I I think empathy will be our best friend in political conversations. And if we can assume these things about each other, make these assumptions that we've, we've all got a lot on the line, uh, but that we're all trying to do our thoughtful best for each other and our families, those kinds of assumptions, I think, if we can make those about each other, I think we'll be able to have great, helpful conversations about politics uh, on this podcast, in our discussion set formats. I think it'll, I think it'll be a helpful way forward. That is really helpful. Um, okay, well, we're going to take a pause here. And when we come back, we will talk about that idea. Since politics is so personal, how should our worldview, our values, our own background, and our faith, how should or should not affect how we vote? So let's take a pause and we'll come back. So we ended that last segment talking about how personal politics are. So does that mean that politics is just a personal, private reality? That's our next question. I, I hear a lot of people talk about the idea of the separation of church and state. And so they'll say things like, keep your religion out of your politics. So Jeff, is that something we should do? Yeah, I, I hear that a lot of times too. And the answer is no. Um, in fact, it's not just that, that no, we shouldn't. It's actually that no, we can't. It is actually impossible to keep our worldview out of how we engage our world. Um, You know, what what you and I personally believe about how society should function, those personal beliefs have very public implications for the society we live in, 
right? I, that's what politics are all about. And it's not just that my views affect society, society's views also affect me. Most public policies infringe or affect my personal decisions, right? Uh, I cannot drive as fast as I want, even when I'm the only one on the road. And no one other than myself was in danger. I have tried this with the officer and it does not work. So <laughs> politics are never just personal, either what I think about politics or what politics pushes on me. And in fact, I would even go further than that, that if you are a follower of Jesus, as soon as he says, love your neighbor, following him has left your private world. Yeah. Obeying what Jesus tells you to do just went public. And I think that makes a lot of sense. I think following Jesus should have direct implications on how you and I treat people, you and I, how, how you and I engage with people. And, and therefore, it, how you know, obeying Jesus to love our neighbor should affect how we vote and participate in society. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Another common thing that I hear uh, is you can't legislate morality. Isn't that, you know, just another way of saying people's personal views of what's right and wrong should stay out of our laws? Yes, that is what people say. But in a similar sense, that's also impossible because every piece of legislation is someone's morality. Uh, legislation is not neutral. It implies a value system. It implies certain things being protected, other things being prevented. So the question really is, who gets to decide? Whose morality will we legislate? So it's simply not true that what we believe is moral or immoral won't influence our politics. Our morality, which is, is shaped by our values, by our faith, or by what you and I believe is best for society, those things will obviously influence how we make and enforce laws for a better society. It would be, it would be pretty impossible to try to separate that out. And frankly, that's what a representative democracy is all about. It's the opportunity for your own values, your own beliefs about what's best for the world to have a say in how the society you live in should function. Now, you know, the, the potential, I guess, downside in air quotes uh, is that you have to be okay with getting voted down if not enough people agree with you. And that's really what, what so many people kind of freak out about. Uh, but I think history has shown that for now, uh, representative government has worked pretty much better than the other systems. It's uh, the, the worst system except for all the other ones, right? That's what I yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> okay, so, so you're saying it, our religious beliefs, our faith, or anyone's worldview, whatever they believe, all the things we believe are important and good, those things should influence how we vote. And in fact, they will. We, we can't help it. They will influence right. how we vote. Right. So if that's true, uh, for, you know, for you and I as Christians, that our Christian faith will influence how we vote, does that mean that there's one political party that lines up with Christian values more than the other parties do? Because I think that's something a lot of people in America think is true. So could you respond to that? Another great question. Um, I read a book uh, called Foolishness to the Greeks by a guy named Leslie Newbegin. He was a missionary to India who came back to England. And this book really helped me think about this question because one of the in one of the chapters he wrestles with how Christianity and politics have become so enmeshed. Um, basically, to, to sort of summarize his argument from that book that's been so informative for me, if we look under the hood of our political parties, Democrats and Republicans, 
which I, I know not all of us will vote for, I understand, but most of us will. Um, I think that we will find that neither party even can represent God accurately in our country. Uh, so here's what I mean. Most Republicans value a smaller government with less interference on how we spend our money, how much we should be taxed, so that we're free to use our resources to bless the world according to our own values, right? Yeah. And most Democrats value a bigger government because a big government can provide a lot of services to people, whether those people can afford those services or not, which levels the playing field. And they're willing to have higher taxes to pay for it because we value equality, right? So a Republican will say, my central value is freedom, even if it means we end up being unequal or less equal. And a Democrat will say, well, my central value is equality, even if it means I take some of your freedom. Now, that doesn't mean that Democrats don't care about freedom and Republicans don't care about equality. Right. It also doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't value freedom or equality. We know he values justice and human volition and being able to make wise choices. I mean, you just read the book of Proverbs. It's all there. So we've got those two values. Are either of those values what's most important in the Christian faith? No. And, and, that's, the, and that's what's so important about this. The, the central value of the kingdom of God is not freedom and it's not equality. Jesus cares about relationships. That's his kingdom's central value. So for the sake of right relationships, he'll give up his freedoms. He's our model for what it means to be fully human. And yet he made himself the servant of all that we see in like Philippians chapter two, for example. So while the Republican party has a lot of great things going for it, its central value of freedom is not the same central value of God's kingdom. So the Republican Party is not the Christian Party, but neither is the Democratic Party, even though they have lots of kingdom values going on for them as well. Look at this. this there's, there's a text in scripture where it talks about, again, what you think about Philippians chapter two. In that chapter, Jesus sacrifices equality with God to become like us human beings, to give us access to right relationship with him and each other. So if our leading value is to make everyone equal at whatever cost, then we're not living out God's kingdom in the world. The access to the good life, the right related life in God's kingdom comes by laying down our lives for each other, to be the servant of others, to imitate Jesus and lower ourselves, to make ourselves unequal so that others can be lifted up. And that's why neither political platform and certainly neither party's candidate is God's party or God's man or woman for the White House. It just doesn't work that way. It, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't mix. Okay, so you're saying we can vote for any party, any candidate that we think is the best option because neither of the, of the major parties, neither of their platforms is representative fully of God's kingdom. And in fact, both platforms have things that honor Jesus and his kingdom and things that that are displeasing to God and, and don't honor Jesus. Is that, that's what you're saying? That's exactly, that's exactly it. And in fact, there's a, there's a, a great author who I, I have, I, have, I encourage you to read anything he writes. His name's Tim Keller. He's been really helpful in my thinking. Uh, he's got a fantastic um, series of articles on justice, which I recommend. And in one of those, um, he has this, this, this quote that was so helpful 
for framing these this question. And I'm, and I'm gonna read it for us because it's so good. It's a little bit long, so settle in, but it's really helpful. I really want us to, to hear this because it informs this part of our conversation. Here's what Tim Keller says. The Bible binds my conscience to care for the poor, but it does not tell me the best practical way to do it. Any particular strategy, high taxes and government services versus low taxes and private charity may be good and wise and may even be somewhat informed from other things the Bible teaches, but they are not directly commanded. And therefore we cannot insist that all Christians as a matter of conscience follow one or the other. The Bible binds my conscience to love the immigrant, but it doesn't tell me how many legal immigrants to admit to the U.S. every year. It does not exactly prescribe immigration policy. The Bible tells me that abortion is a sin and great evil, but it does not tell me the best way to decrease or end abortion in this country, nor which policies are most effective. The current political parties offer a potpourri of different positions on these and many, many other topics, most of which, as just noted, the Bible does not speak to directly. This means when it comes to taking political positions, voting, determining alliances and political involvement, the Christian has liberty of conscience. Christians cannot say to other Christians, quote, no Christians can vote for, or quote, every Christian must vote for, unless you can find a biblical command to that effect. So I encourage you to go find that quote online. It's worth reading to yourself but it's a really helpful way to talk about the values that drive us, the values that Jesus shares, but the fact that both political parties are actually different avenues towards getting to some of those, those values. They offer different ways to some of those, those destinations. That's great. Thank you, Jeff. That, that is just wonderful. And this has been a great conversation. I, like I said, I always look forward to talking about these things uh, with you. And I know that our students are really going to benefit from, from these thoughts as well. Uh, next week, uh, we'll, we'll be doing this again and looking forward to this. Um, we're actually going to interview two other campus pastors that work here with CCF, uh, two of our friends. We're going to ask them about how their own personal backgrounds and their faith in Jesus, how that influences how they vote. And I'm really looking forward to those conversations. I'm excited and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Jesus and Politics podcast. Remember to join us every Thursday at 4.30 on Zoom for a Q&A. You'll be able to find the link to that on our social media or at our website, ccfministry.com.